Trigger warning. This episode has explicit content. We discuss sensitive and explicit topics, including sexual abuse. It is definitely not safe for kids and can be triggering for some listeners. Please listen with discretion. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, right there. Oh. 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 Oh, God. Oh. Yes. 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 Oh. Oh, yes. 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 Oh. Yes. 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 Oh. 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 Oh, God. I'll have what she's having. What do you feel when you hear that sound of an orgasm? Does it make you squirm with embarrassment? Are you tempted to turn off the episode really quickly and switch to another show? Or are you kind of turned on? Or most likely you're probably wondering what the heck is going on and has Allison lost her damn mind? It's a fair question. We're taught to never talk about sex money, religion, politics, and so much more in polite company. But I, I beg to differ. I feel like because we don't talk about the subjects that truly make up who we are, we now stand in a divided world, feeling a little too exposed and a lot judged. And does anyone really know the truth about each other? We keep so much of ourselves under wraps and try and fall in line with social norms. And this is a chance to pull back the covers and maybe get to know each other a little better. Welcome to the sex series on the new and improved Culture Changers podcast. I'm Allison Hare and welcome to episode 100. 100! It's been quite a road, but I'm so proud to make it this far. And so much of that is because of you, because you kept listening, because you kept sharing with your friends, your feedback about what you love or what you don't love. And sharing these episodes, that is the ultimate mark of success for me. When you share it, I know I've done something right, that I've hit a nerve, And that is a conversation that needs to be continued. And you've also reached out to my guests and shared what moved you and you continue supporting them. I hope you'll continue to tell your friends and keep listening. It temporarily fills my empty heart and I appreciate the validation. And until that wears off, I need to keep publishing. You get me, right? I'm working on it. I'll have a specialist on here in no time to help us all with the validation part, okay? All right, so here is what we're going to do. Culture Changers is going to have meaningful discussions about the biggest topics of our time. And you know, I can't really keep things in the shallow end. We've got to go deeper. We're exploring topics like sex, aging, beauty, race, money, fame, Fun. Yes, I said fun. It's like a whole thing. Religion, politics, and so much more. But we're not just scratching the surface. We're digging into the psychology of how can we do better and be better. So welcome to the sex series. I get to bring conversations to you about ethical non-monogamy 
and sex after sexual assault, which is what this episode is about. And kink, and oh my God, kink, BDSM, it is something I know nothing about. But I'm so interested to learn more about why. And today, I am super honored to welcome Felicia Julian, a sex-positive advocate and founder of Condom Couture in Atlanta. We are talking about sex after sexual trauma. Now, you probably know that statistics show that one in four women have been sexually assaulted or raped. And I was surprised to see that one in six men have also been sexually assaulted. One in six. Y'all, that's just reported. So we know that the numbers are likely much higher than this. So when your trust, your safety, your self-worth are completely obliterated in an instant when somebody traumatizes you, how do you go on to heal and have a healthy sex life or a healthy life anyway? That's what we're discussing today. And we'll talk about ethical non-monogamy, and we talk a lot about porn and so many other topics I was not expecting we would cover. But all of these topics are things that need to come out into the open and us to have a better understanding about. So I'm so excited to share our chat. But I have one quick note, though. Are you listening to this on Apple Podcasts? Apple made a change where you don't subscribe anymore, you follow. So if you're listening on Apple, can you go to this episode, click on the dropdown where it says go to show. When you get there, click on the plus button in the top right corner and voila, you'll get these important conversations delivered right to you every time I publish. Lastly, I'm sharing updates about my journey on my blog. Make sure you subscribe to get my emails. They are usually dropping bombs that will make you laugh or maybe cry, but most of all, you'll never feel alone. Go to allisonhair.com and let's stay in touch. Here's my chat with sex positive advocate, Felicia Julian. Tell me about what is the definition of sex positive? So to me, sex positivity is being able to encompass everything that you desire want and require sexually but without shame right i think that the not being ashamed section of this is the most important um to be positive about what your needs are and not judge others for theirs but be open to listening and knowing your boundaries like yes that's for me or no that isn't and that's okay um finding that balance of not judging yourself or anyone else as well as going for what you desire sexually without without holding back, you know, like being able to talk about whatever it is, how kinky it is or how weird it is or how boring it is. Like, it's fine. It's yours, <laughs> you know? <laughs> how much do you think culture plays into sex positivity? Do you feel like this is a movement that is changing towards it or do you think we have a long, long way to go? Oof. Um, so (laughs) I do think that we are moving towards it. Um, 
However, there are some hiccups that, you know, you see along the way. I think that we're learning. Um, I see this progress of, oh my gosh, I'm losing the name of it now. Fans only. (laughs) There we go. Only Only fans. Only fans. fans. I always do that. Um, So I actually have friends who worked on only fans and that was their main source of income. And then we saw this big movement towards women specifically or female identifying individuals being able to express themselves sexually on this platform and feel free and feel good about their bodies on it while making profit and it became this industry that was booming and then all of a sudden you know recently actually they stopped allowing nudity on on the platform but didn't they pull that back so only fans is a social platform right a social mm-hmm. platform that um it has has become just like you said for people that wanted to express themselves or show nudity Mm -hmm. on there and be able to make money from that. And I wonder how much of it is, you know, like if if I'm not involved in that world, am I thinking about OnlyFans as just a porn site for horny dudes? Or is it a place for women to truly express themselves Mm -hmm. and be free with it without you know, like the, the money factor being the only reason they're doing it? So I think there's a few interesting points that you brought up. Um, Saying platform for horny dudes is really interesting to me because I think that porn is for everyone. Um, And I do think that, yes, it's it's defined by this audience everyone targets, right? Mm. Um, But I also don't think that there's a problem with with being sexual or being or saying, you know, like, yeah, I am a horny dude, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I myself can identify with being a horny dude. Um, But saying that, you know, like, the the woman on the other side of the camera, um, in front of the camera, rather, she is being sexually liberated in her own way, Mm. right? And I think that it's okay that the male gaze is there as long as it's consensual. Mm -hmm. Um, And if there's any side to, you know, other people involved with the person watching the video um i think that that needs to be a discussion um so i think that there's this weird like gray area where we always identify ourselves with that individual who's watching or being being a part of their life romantically like oh i wouldn't want to be with that person because they watch porn you know like that's okay that they watch porn i think that we shouldn't bash it I think that it still is a way for women to liberate themselves regardless of what's on the other side that's such an interesting perspective because there is the opposition saying that porn is ruining sex lives because it's showing you know um it's showing fantasy that is not really sustainable for average everyday women or average everyday guys and so I wonder how you know, I, I hear about ethical porn, mm-hmm. which I don't know what that means, but I'm assuming it is something about the consensual things. But I, I'd love to get your thoughts on on the the reality of porn being something that's healthy for people, or is there a boundary where it's just not? Yeah, I, I love that you brought this up. Okay, so <laughs> being with 
condom couture and working with Planned Parenthood and thinking about... Can you explain what condom couture is? Oh, yes. So condom couture is my um, founded nonprofit benefit for Planned Parenthood. It's a condom couture ATL is mine. Um, Condom couture has existed itself for, I think, over 12 years now. Um, But for the past three, I ran it in Atlanta. And... Um, this I've, I've handed off this year, but, um, it is a non-profit fundraising event, meaning we don't benefit, we don't, we don't take any of the profits ourselves. It's a group of volunteers and we usually fill a stage with transgendered individuals, um, drag queens. We love our drag performers. (laughs) Uh, we'll have fire throwers. We'll have whomever wants to help us out and volunteer, um, and it's it's an event, and we raise money for Planned Parenthood. So our first year, we raised twenty one thousand wow. um, dollars. And then during the pandemic, we had to go virtual, and we threw together this platform, and just like had these amazing videographers come in and film it. And we still raised over ten thousand dollars during a pandemic for Planned Parenthood, which was awesome. Um, so we're all about sex positivity, being able to unashamedly be yourself, um, explore perform if you want to and also we give out vibrators we give out lube and we give out condoms and it's all about condoms it's a condom fashion show um hence the couture part so there are runway items and everything's made out of condoms um and there's oh my god yeah. that sounds so fun yeah it's so much sounds fun so creative it's so much fun um mm. you can go home with one um you can we typically do an auction um i'm not sure how they're going to be doing it now that i've handed it over um but i'm still all all in on like pushing it forward um so with that being said um thinking about safe sex and thinking about ethical porn i'm all for this idea behind what ethical porn is which is saying like yeah it's about consent right um and usually there's a part where who where the male identifying individual or the 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 person with a penis um the penis owner owner, yeah (laughs) um like gets a condom or asks if it's okay to get a condom if they're going to go for you know not if it's okay to get a condom but is it okay that we go further and i get a condom and usually there's consent and then they move through sex and it's very much about it it could be about the connection it could be kinky it could be you know whatever that is for those two individuals at the time but it's not you know it's 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 typically not overboard it's not um denigrating women produced yeah yes exactly um and i i'm glad you brought that up i is it a turn on to see you know like people being safe for me it is you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah because I think that there's I think that is the disconnect like oh well they just he just grabs her or she just grabs him and then they go for it and it's you know in the rainforest <laughs> and there's people watching or whatever it is and it's like how often are we going to be in the rainforest like babies and like porn and- and- <laughs> yeah yeah it's <laughs> like so in- interesting like these fantasies um and I do think, you know, babysitter porn, like I, I think that that's, um, that's hard for me to talk about. Um, I think that that kind of triggers an age difference, which doesn't make anyone okay at the end. Um, I think that women hmm. already have this struggle to constantly look and appear younger. 
Um, and then I think that, you know, mansplaining is here and it not only is it a control factor, um, but it's also this, um, yeah, I mean, we don't have to dive into that, but, um, there, the ethics behind that, um, it also just really pushes the line. It's, there's so much going on right now, I think from kind of dismantling the patriarchy in a lot of ways. I think that the Me Too movement, whether you have a critiques over it's gone too far or all of those things, it has been embedded in our culture for so many centuries. Mm-hmm. That is being dismantled now. And so I'm I'm really curious to see how it unfolds. Is it where it is truly consensual? Because I think about, you know, when you talk about the age difference or babysitter porn or doing things against people's will, you know, like there, there are certain things, you know, I was attacked, I was assaulted when I was a teenager and I was, I was pinned down and, you know, like any, any, anything where I'm, I see somebody being restrained, Mm -hmm. um, is really hard for me to watch. And I imagine because so many women, you know, have have suffered from some type of sexual assault to see that again and again and have it normalized, mm-hmm. whether it's through porn, whether it's through, you know, the normalcy of that. I'm really curious to see how culture plays into something that's more respectful. And from the Me Too movement, how, how, how has that played into it? Do you think it is? Are, are we on a better path? I think that we have a lot of work to do there. For sure, um, because there is this this push and pull of liberation versus what's too much to show, um, and what does cross the line for those who mm. have experienced trauma in different ways sexually. Um, I I myself have experienced sexual trauma too, and you know I I see things online that sometimes do remind me of it and I have become numb to it I just skip over it right Mm. um but that's also a side of it that isn't okay um to expect the uh, the person who has endured trauma to have to deal with it on their own right um of course we all have therapy and we all have our means of going Mm -hmm. about but um I I think that there's just a lot of work past the me too movement to discuss consent and I do think that ethical porn is on the way of doing that and thinking about you know restraints and things like that I I think that there should I think that to some degree it can be okay as long as there's some sort of labeling on it first Um, maybe they have to go to a specific site to see it or a specific area of the site to see Mm. it um Mm. like kind of like a warning label almost um like at the beginning of podcasts typically there's you know like this podcast might be triggering about. right yes exactly so mm. i think that um something like that should be in play and there should also be a level of consent within it you know like the person who is being restrained should ask for it first um so that they are still in control of what the other person is doing to their body because i think that that tends to be the biggest disconnect i i know like in life in general autonomy is super important to me and as as most 
uh, <laughs> as most vagina owners would agree, <laughs> or female-born um, individuals or assigned individuals um, would agree, um, having autonomy over our bodies is extremely important. And in pornography, being able to see that the person who is in that situation has control of themselves, always has a trigger word, always, or not trigger word, a safe word, Mm -hmm. and can always get out of the situation and gave consent every step of the way. So you said something about when you see things, they can be triggering where you disconnect. Mm -hmm. And so I think when it comes to people who have been sexually assaulted. And I think that we know one out of four might even be more than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women have been traumatized, sexually assaulted um, in their lifetimes, which is a fuckload, right? I mean, it's a lot. So if that's the case, how do you reconnect to your body when the instinct is to disconnect and disengage when you might be triggered it might be something where you go overboard where that is you know like your safety is is to be very sexual and some is to fully pull back i'd be curious about how you re-engage or how you truly engage or reconnect with your body in a way that gives you autonomy that gives you pleasure that gives you your body back yeah for sure i so i was um raped when I was 18 and it was from a close friend and that really held me back for a while and I was even in a relationship at the time and my uh, boyfriend at the time really took me in and like and understood and we took a break from any sexual activity Mm. um and we on it in in all honesty i'm just gonna be totally transparent here i went on a sex spree after that um i slept around a lot i had my you know they call them hot girl summers now if in a positive (laughs) way but like it was not from a positive point Mm. at that time of my life and i was just i i did i went crazy and then i had another traumatizing really I had a traumatizing relationship Mm. um and um the the guy I was with would abuse me sexually and mentally and emotionally and um I found out later that I actually got herpes from him and it made me step back from sex totally I thought you know I I actually said the words I'm damaged goods Mm. and I remember feeling like damaged goods and even thinking about that now, like I could break that down in so many ways now mm-hmm. and think like goods, like what? I'm not here to provide a service for anyone else. I'm here to be full of, on my own and have that autonomy and make myself happy in whatever way that is. And sexually, I do want that. And it took me, I think, a couple years after that before I started to have sex again. But that slow path was me touching myself Mm. and me learning like okay I I can make myself feel good in these moments and I can have I can make love to myself and I can like 
I honestly sometimes would even set up a mirror and I would set the mood and it would just be me and just exploring my body in this way because at the time I thought no one would. But through doing that, I Hmm. learned that, you know, like I love myself and someone will love me. And, you know, my partner now, I told him about like having herpes on our first day and he seriously looked at me and he was just like, okay, so Mm. he's like, isn't that just a stigma? And I was like, okay, cool. You get it. Like, thank you. And I've never looked back and thought those things again, but through exploring my body and learning like, okay, I like these breasts. Oh, this feels good. You know, like I like this. I like where, when I'm touched here and now I can say to my partner, like, I want you to touch me right here in this, you know, one inch spot. <laughs> like This is my area. Yeah. I want you to touch me right now because I, I know that about myself. And it took trauma to some degree, but it doesn't have to. And getting out of that trauma really took exploring myself. That is so brave too. And I wonder about your desire to get back to your get back your body and take the time to do that instead of numbing out in other ways that is you know typical of how how do you process trauma how do you process really bad things you know yeah um the numbing out thing um during those years when i was just going crazy sexually and just you know going out to clubs and bringing dudes home um bringing women home, bringing whomever home, I was numbing out during that time. Mm. Um, My friend and I, my friend made a joke. He was like, I bet you don't even know how many partners you've had. And I was like, oh, that's ouch. You know, like you're right. And that's okay. Does it matter? Does the number matter really? It doesn't. And that's what I was going to say. Like, it's okay if I don't know. And I don't fault anyone for having however many partners they've had but in that moment I realized I'm numbing out I don't even know who I've had sex with like Mm -hmm. I don't sometimes I don't even know their name before or after and is there an element of excitement with that in a rush (laughs) yeah for sure um I think for me personally it was numbing um but I think that for any any other individual if they enjoy that and there's like a rush with it and it's Mm. exciting yeah, go for it. You know, like have that hot girl summer. I am all about it. Um, Personally, I don't do that anymore, but I have so many friends who are in the industry or who, you know, do that all the time or who are poly and they have their partners or who are in open relationships. And as long as it's consensual and as long as it's open and there's communication between both sides or all sides involved, I don't see any problem with it because it is exciting Mm -hmm. you know get out there explore yourself let someone else explore you do you feel like polyamory or ethical non-monogamy or even uh, you know like exploring different partners whether different genders different partners do you feel like that should be more normalized I do. Yeah. My, you know, I'm monogamous. Uh, my partner and I actually had this very discussion a couple of nights ago. And we were like, you know, if you were to ever want to bring someone else in, just let me know. We can discuss it. But I don't, I know I don't want that now. And he, I, I said that and he said, I don't want that either. But yeah, if we want to bring someone in, 
Sure. Like we would discuss it. We would make sure that everyone was okay. We would make sure that we all came together and sat down and like knew each other and that we could have for us personally it would be a three person relationship mm-hmm. um, to us that would make the most sense but you know we're fine being monogamous and we're happy together we think it would <laughs> we can't handle any more drama in our lives <laughs> <laughs> but I also have friends who my one of my dearest friends is is in a poly marriage and his wife um, has had her partner for think four years now and he's had his other partner for I think two and a half years now and sometimes they even have extra partners too who come in and they introduce to the whole family and that's so wild to me yeah and I you know I I know it's not for me but I see it and it's beautiful Mm -hmm. like seeing the love in the room between these four people who are you know two of them are married and the other two come in and it's family they have an extra bedroom they can split up and everyone can come together and eat dinner together and it it really is like this this thing that should be normal like we we're not naturally monogamous creatures We've kind of learned that through the years. There's nothing wrong with being monogamous or being non-monogamous, but over the years that we've developed this sense of monogamy, mm-hmm. um, we've kind of lost what. Well, I actually I want to say we've gained judgment towards those who didn't follow suit, and I think that that's kind of where we fall short in bringing it into this normalized So I've world. got a question for you. I've got to ask you this. <clears throat> My husband and I talk about this all the time. So we know this couple that are uh, eth- uh, practice ethical non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And so they have a son together. Um, he has a girlfriend. She, the wife, has also has a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And they all come together. And, you know, like they're, they're, to me, it seems like it is born out of love and inclusion. It does not seem like any deviant behavior and they're very open about it. And it, it just seems beautiful. And so my husband and I will talk about it and we're like, I don't know how they do it. You know, like, but I wonder, do you feel like there might be a sliding scale of people that would feel more comfortable in monogamy versus otherwise. So, you know, like my husband and I have never cheated on anyone in our lives. We've both, we've both been cheated on before each other, you know, but our, our, um, it monogamy feels good to us, you know, but I have zero judgments about other people doing that. We just, we're trying to figure out like, how does this even work? You know, like how does somebody not get jealous when, you know, they want to hang out tonight, but they're going to be out with their girlfriend, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how, how that all works out. Do you feel like there is a sliding scale towards monogamy and people that just aren't? Uh, I don't know if I would say sliding scale, but I mean, maybe. Um, I know like my, I, yeah, actually, I think so. Because like thinking about my partner and I and our conversation and thinking we are both very monogamous people, he wasn't always a very monogamous person. We all have our, our moments. Yeah, I mean, well, he's never cheated, but he he's only really been in mainly open relationships. He was in a four-year hmm. open relationship before me. And, um, but again, like before we even got together, we're like, okay, we're, I, he asked if we would be in an open relationship. And I said, that's not for me, but if that's what you want, I'm just not the person sure for you and he was like no actually that sounds nice like let's do that (laughs) and so the conversation comes up 
pretty frequently um, on my behalf because I am the same way as you. You know, like I think that I would get jealous um, or cause jealousy and that's just something that I don't Mm. want. Um, But we've also discussed, you know, this sense of ownership of your own life and and ownership of your own emotions and I think that people who can practice ethical monog- uh, ethical polyamory, um, I think that they just have this this like strong sense of their own emotions, and they are able to maneuver them way better than I can. Yeah, my husband's <laughs> like, it just sounds expensive and exhausting. Yeah, like, I how know. do you keep track of? <laughs> I know. Yeah, my partner who's now in, is like, out. oh yeah, I don't know how I, how I even did that before like he was in an open thing so he didn't have other partners Mm -hmm. right um but having other partners he's just like no like emotionally that sounds so exhausting Mm -hmm. like it does doesn't it for me it just sounds like jealousy you know and a lot of drama i don't know how like i I would not be cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I wouldn't either which is why it's so important for open conversation right and i think Mm -hmm. that and like being consensual because I think that if he were to come to me and want that, I would discuss it with him and then we would decide together if it's something to do or not to do or if we should split because it's something he needs but not what I need. Mm -hmm. And I think that that tends to be something that's shocking to a lot of people, like that we would feel okay discussing it. But it Um, seems so easy to say, well, I'm just not the person for you. Yeah. You might love this person. Yeah, right? You might really love this companionship and you might love the the relationship and the Mm -hmm. fun you have. So it's hard because I feel like people... Um, are easy to say, well, if he cheats, I'm gone. You know, like even in a, a you know, regular marriage, uh, that's it. And I right. think it's so much more complicated or complex, I should say, than um, than to just write it off and be so black and white. Yeah. You know, I just don't know how to, how, you know, from a, a culture perspective, how how is it okay? How is it more acceptable? How do you bring this into the open? What do you think would help normalize normalize polyamory all of these you know like i think it is personal choice i think it's personal autonomy personal choice feeling okay you know that you might be a very sexual person or an asexual person yeah and is that okay yeah yeah for sure i think that i i honestly think that before the show we were discussing this a little bit we're not really taught how to communicate in a healthy manner when Mm -hmm. we're young um I think culturally there's this divide you know I I was born in Canada and we kiss each other on the lips in Canada like you kiss your friends on the lips you kiss your aunt on the lips like and here you hardly even hug people so it's very different Hmm. in certain physical ways here and even thinking about little things like that you know like the communication and the physical touch that we deprive ourselves of in this culture, um, I think that 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 needs to change too because I think that it all comes down to the foundation of healthy communication Mm. and how to deliver ideas and how to accept another person's ideas and how to also discuss like that you can change your mind and that's okay regardless of I'm changing my mind 
about this monogamous relationship. Now I want an open one or now I don't want to be with you. And that's okay for someone to decide. Mm. And I think that that actually creates a more stable relationship rather than he better not cheat on me or she better not cheat on me or they better not cheat on me, you know, or I'm gone. Like, well, people change and mistakes happen, sure. Or maybe that person just changed and maybe that's just not the person for you and that's okay if you want to leave and it's okay if you want to stay and work on it and there's just yeah it's erasing that judgment around it and finding a good source of communication and balance of what is healthy for you and having that autonomy over your own life you know if if I were to do something bad in my relationship or not bad but like that my partner frowned upon in my relationship um and it was totally because I needed it or you know well I don't know if I should say the word need but really wanted it in that moment Mm -hmm. um and I came to him and he was like I'm not down for that be like okay I'm sorry like let's work on how we can let's shop some ideas you know like how can we fulfill the parts of me that desired this other human Mm. or this other thing and like what is it that I'm missing here that's really powerful to say I need anything yeah that's really powerful I don't think we are I don't think as females vagina owning female identifying I don't know what the correct thing is I have been playing around with the idea of of the art of receiving, you know, the mm-hmm. law of reception, and that um, women find it so hard to receive and have it be okay to tell people what you want because mm-hmm. you need it or deserve it or like it. Yeah. And that <laughs> is, uh, that's a powerful box of worms. Oh, girl. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I've, I've been working on this with my therapist a lot this year. Um, and I will say, like, being able to look at someone and say no is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not so much sexually anymore because I've been through that in the past, but just in general as, as a woman. Um but I think that it it does go into that too, right? Like how how do I accept and how do I set my boundaries like simultaneously? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I know that I am worthy of feeling good? And how do I know I'm worthy of this pleasure mm. that I want or this happiness that I desire and need in my life? Like what do I need to make me happy? I do believe that it's all within us and I do believe that we can explore that sexually within ourselves as well but we can still desire other things and that can still build upon how we feel and how we feel that pleasurable side of ourselves right and I do think yeah I I think that I've I've just been working on it so much that these words are happening um but yeah being able to say like obviously there's something that I need right now and I'm not getting it so we literally have a whiteboard in our house like and sometimes I use it and I'm like here's my ideas here are my feelings around it and I like that you call them ideas yeah (laughs) (laughs) like suggestions (laughs) here's what I'm playing around with yeah um I think that when there's one other person is all I can really speak for but any set of individuals in your life that you are with there has to be 
some sort of like negotiation that's constantly mm. happening um, because no two people have the exact same wants, you know, and we're, we're we play this game with everyone in our lives, friends, family, everyone. Um, but when it comes to our partners, it's this different sense of connection and we have to be able to communicate this. And if my wants channel back to these little idiosyncratic tiny things you know like I just I want you to wipe the counter every day you know or I want you to fuck me on the counter you know Mm -hmm. like whatever it is (laughs) like if I know oh something in the kitchen needs to happen like I can write that down and then brainstorm you know and it sounds so strange but there's there's just like this it is an idea for me because it's like okay I know that I need something what is it And how can I find that in a healthy way? Um, Maybe it's because I've had trauma and I've had to work through it in that way. But to me, that helps me kind of like create this flow chart of desire. But it sounds sounds like if I'm hearing this right, it sounds like self-worth is equivalent to boundaries. And, you know, the other aspect of it is to make sure that you feel psychologically safe with a partner. And that part goes back to self-worth too. It's it's hard, you know, it's hard to make sure you've got all three of those things. And I think it's an evolution, you know, from a self-worth perspective for the, the idea of reception, of being able to receive yeah. and feeling worthy of receiving. Yeah, I think so. It's like the trifecta. Or it's the trifecta. <laughs> yeah. I like this. <laughs> I think this is a perfect way to close our conversation. Yeah. Oh my God, Felicia, I've loved talking to you. This was so fascinating. Yes, thank you so much, Allison. (laughs) Thank you for letting my little brain go. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you so much because you just opened my eyes to things I didn't realize were in my head. So thank you. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Felicia, you are brave. You're courageous. You're a great dancer with great hair. And I'm just so honored that you'd be willing to share your story with me. If you're listening and maybe you heard yourself in these stories, or you could feel your mind open with compassion as we all heal from our broken parts, I would encourage you to reach out to Felicia Julian. I'll link her info in the show notes. And if you have suffered from sexual trauma and need to speak to someone, please call the National Sexual Trauma Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. And you, you, thank you for getting me to 100 episodes. Won't you follow me on the socials and tell me a topic that is important to you or if this topic resonated with you? Maybe we can solve some of these problems together on future episodes. I want to be here with you and for you. And if you haven't done it yet, go subscribe to my blog at allisonhair.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping it 100 and I'll see you next time.